All right. All right. You guys are looking good today. Looking good. So Candy Palooza is coming up on what day? July, July 30th. Wow. Uh, October 30th. We are in October, right? October 30th. So Amy and I will not be here that Sunday, all right? But um, the person we have speaking is Christy Bai. So I'm just going to put that out there. So you have always enjoyed when Christy's had an opportunity to speak. And so she's going to um, be speaking that day. So we're glad that she was able to do that. And looking forward to that. So that'll be on October 30th. And Amy and I are going to be in uh, Florida. So at uh, the Sawgrass. How many of you have watched Sawgrass Golf Tournament? Have you seen that? If you, I, I know Paul has. And I, yep, yep. So that's where we're going to be at. I even can have the opportunity to golf there if I want to. So tear up their greens and stuff a little bit, right? But I hear we're not actually on the official uh, course. I think they are working on that. So we get to be on the practice course. But, what you know, it's whatever. I've been on there one other time. Amy, uh, Amy's grandma, they had a, a big birthday party for her. It was like her 80th or 90th birthday. And so um, she has some uncles that have, uh, that are well off, were well off, are well off. And so they got a place there and we... Had a celebration at the PGA golf course there. So, amen. Good to have you all here with us today. We are going to be in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. We started in the series in Acts last Sunday. And so we're going to be working through the book of Acts, hitting some of the key stories in the book of Acts, how the church got out and transformed their world, right? And so we see in Acts 1.8, we talked about that last week, that Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, for we, I promised Him, wait for Him, and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's where we see the church kind of begin is in Jerusalem, 3,000 get saved, and then it goes to more to Judea, so that's kind of like from Crete to Nebraska, and then to Samaria, so Samaria were some of those other ethnicities, okay, they were a mixed breed. They were to the north that the Jewish people didn't go into that. And maybe there's even places within our own nation that maybe we don't go into some of those communities or those areas because they're not like us, right? And that was the Samaritans. And so we see the gospel go to Samaria. We'll look at that in Acts chapter 8 with Philip. And then we see Paul taking the gospel then to uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia, and Macedonia, Athens, Greece, and that area. And then the, it continues to go on. That book is still being written in some ways that the gospel is still going forth. So we talked about how the Holy Spirit equips us to fulfill the mission that God has given us. If you missed that one, it's on YouTube there. We also had a message in June that was called Sales, like a sailboat, Sales, that I felt is um, really ties in well with that. Just talking about how the Holy Spirit, we're kind of like the sail, and the Holy Spirit is the wind that carries us along and empowers us to do what God's called us to do. So when we look at the mission of Jesus to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's a big task that He's given us, right? It's a big task. And sometimes when we look at the early church, they didn't have money, they didn't have political power, they didn't have military strength. 
They didn't have all these things that we sometimes think, if I'm going to change the world, I need. And yet they did. They turned their world upside down, even in the midst of all that. Because God's Holy Spirit made a mission possible. And he went before them. So last week was mission possible. And today we want to look at the healthy church. And there are six points. And so we'll see how long-winded I get this morning. So I, you, you may get part one today and part two next Sunday, okay? Is that all right? Um, I don't want to be here at 1.30, right? And p- you probably don't either. Okay. So, so Jill remembers the day that we had Joe Marino speak for the first time. <laughs> Joe, if you're watching... He was our youth children's pastor, and usually when you have people speak for the first time, you're lucky if you get 10 minutes out of them, right? Because they're so nervous, and they think they're preaching like for half an hour, and they five, 10 minutes, they're done, right? You know? Well, Joe got up, and he spoke, and half an hour goes by. 45 minutes go by. An hour goes by. I think in an hour and a half, he finally, I said, you know, <laughs> we need to lie on the plane, and so he finished up an hour and a half later. And so we talked about that a little more. <laughs> so, um, but we'll see where we're at as far as time here. I don't want to rush this as we look at uh, these verses. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive in together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God that is able to transform and change our lives as we memorize it, as we study it as we apply it to our lives. Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to make it become life to us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. So what we did not cover last week, we covered chapter 1, but in chapter 2 we see the fulfillment of that. that is the day of Pentecost. So the message in June kind of talks about the um, 1 and 2. And so on the day of Pentecost, it was an annual feast they had every year and observed um, their exodus out of of Egypt. But it was on this last day, the day of Pentecost, that celebrated the harvest. Okay, That's really what it was about, the celebration of the harvest, the wheat harvest, that God would pour out His Holy Spirit upon them. And so we see that the Holy Spirit was given to prophets, it was given to judges, uh, kings in the Old Testament, but it was select people. But the prophecy of Joel is that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, all flesh, men and women, slave and free, regardless of ethnicity. There, that even kind of rhymes, doesn't it? All right. So that was the promise given through Joel. We see that fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, hey, this was what was written by the prophet Joel. He preaches to this crowd that isn't sure what is happening. Some mock them, say, hey, they're drunk. Others are listening. But people are there from not only Jerusalem, but from all over, even probably from Rome and other places. Why? Because it is the day of Pentecost. They were there for the festival. Do you think God knew what he was doing? Yeah. And so some of those people get saved. They come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and then they go back to their home town, their home territory, and they take the message with them. So God, had, God knew what he was doing on the day of Pentecost. And so we see the church begin. 3,000 get saved, 
And as we go through the book of Acts, that number jumps to 5,000, and then persecution hits, and then we kind of lose track of numbers. We just know it goes out. But let's go chapter 2, 42 through 47. This is right after Peter is done preaching, and people are baptized, and the gospel message, um, we learn that 3,000 get saved. Verse 42, they then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So in fellowship is that word koinonia. We talked, we had a series in, in the book of Philippians about koinonia. So it is more than just fellowship and hanging out together. It includes that, but it is that idea of making a commitment. I'm part of a, a, a group that I'm committed to. I'm part of a f- partnership, a fellowship with other people, okay? So it has, there's that idea of commitment to it. To the breaking of bread, so when they talk about breaking of bread, it probably was a direct reference to the Lord's Supper, to communion. So as they gathered in homes, you have to understand they didn't have a building, even if it was a renovated bowling alley, they didn't have that. What they had is homes, and they probably went to the people that had the largest homes, and they would pack out those homes, and that's where they would have church, all right? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions they, uh, to give to one another that had need. Are you following that? I'll read that again. All the believers um, were together and had everything in common. Okay, we'll go into depth, more depth than that. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So the necessary didn't always have the money in the bank, but they t- took what they had. They sold it to meet the need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying of the favor of the Lord, of, the, of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, what? Daily, those who were being saved. You know, church back then and what church looks like today probably look a lot different, whether it's the building, even how we do worship, and we have a little bit of, we don't really call it a liturgy, um, but there, there's a s- order of service, right? You know, and some churches have more of that than others. Church definitely looks different back then as it did now, right? And some things, there's no right or wrong, it's just what we, preferences, Right? And even today, you may have some people that like the high church where there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of liturgy. And for some people, that really helps them connect with God. And other people, they want more of the free flowing of the Spirit. And that's more of a better fit for them. I think we probably probably fall in the middle there someplace. But church looks different based upon different cultures. If you were to go to Africa, right they probably would, would do thing, some things as far as their jumping and things like that that would make us feel uncomfortable because it's, it's cultural for them, right? It, it's not our culture, but for them it's cultural, right? So ch- church looks different there than it does for us, right? So, what, but what I want us to capture here are some of the characteristics or behaviors that provided health for this early church and that allowed them to add daily to those who were being saved. So the first thing we see is one is community. So if you're taking notes, or you can maybe even include um, fellowship in that. I'm kind of including community and fellowship together. There was a sense of community. They gathered together to meet 
We don't even know how often they met. Did they meet daily? Did they meet weekly? Did they meet every other day? We know that they were meeting on a fairly regular basis, though. And they were gathering together in homes and places where they had space enough to meet. But there was a sense of fellowship, that koinonia, that they were being part of something that was bigger than them, and they were committed to it, so much so that they were willing to invest in it. Right? Not just extra cash they had on the side. They were willing to sell things that were important to them to fulfill the need. Some of that included meeting the needs of the poor that were around them. They were so passionate about that. So the early church was committed to meeting together, and as a larger group, but especially in the smaller groups, they met in homes and they gathered together. Now, when I came in, not, well, after I came in today, and some people were here early, but I, I observed, I observed, um, Karen is usually here helping to get the coffee ready, but then all of a sudden I see her, she's over, Bob is always here early, and Jerry, and so they were over, they just went over to their table and they were just, Talking, they were talking about fishing. Can you believe that? They were talking about fishing in church. <sighs> but they were having fellowship, right? They were having fellowship and enjoying being together. And that is what part, part of church is all about. Now, I wish that everybody came because of the great messages I spoke. All right? But I know that people... You know, hopefully I, I, I do a good enough job to challenge you, inspire you, and to make the Word of God come alive. But, <laughs> but I also know that you come because, oh, so-and-so is going to be here today. My friends are going to be there today. And there's that idea of fellowship, right? Right? When I go to district events, that's what... Yeah, and maybe the speaker is going to be good, but I go also for the fellowship, right? And connecting with people. And I think what we need, God has not called any of us to be a lone ranger. The church is to be the church where community, and that is God's design. And even within the Godhead, it's not just God, it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is that idea of community, and that is what God wants within His church. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to have our own little mansion off on the hillside disconnected from everybody else there's going to be that idea of community that we're fellowshipping together so when you think about coming to church i think sometimes we look at it from our perspective right all right i'm i'm tired you know this morning it was it was cool in the house and those blankets were pretty warm right anybody have that same experience and it was kind of like this feels pretty nice here right all right so There is the aspect where we look at coming to church just by, oh, well, you know, am I going to miss a message or the worship? There's usually certain parts that we like, whether it's the fellowship, the message, or the worship that connects with us, right? But we often look at, how is it going to bless me? How is it going to speak to me? How is it going to refresh me and encourage me, right? But how often have we thought about it in the other way, that, you know what, me being here today may make the difference in somebody else's life. You know, Karen, just maybe you sitting down there, may, may, maybe you just made Bob's day, right? As he talked about fishing and vice versa, right? That those 
connections that happen, the fellowship and the laughter, and sometimes we pray together, we cry together, but it is that interaction together that it's not just about me, it's about how my life is impacting the life of somebody else. And we sometimes share needs, right? We pray for one another. That is what it means to that sense of community. And if we just look at church as what is it going to do for me, that's part of it. But we also have to realize that, you know what, you just being here, making the effort to be here, maybe even on a Sunday where it just was a little more work to get here, that maybe you're going to make the difference in somebody else's life. You may know about it, you may never know about it. You don't know. You don't know the difference you're going to make in somebody else's life. Maybe it's just a smile, a handshake. Maybe it's an encouraging word. Maybe it's even a prophetic word where God speaks to you through the Holy Spirit and says, hey, you know, how are things going? God's given us his Holy Spirit to lead and direct us and help us in that. But community, we need that sense of community. And I think if a church is going to be growing, it has to have those times of fellowship and connection that it's not just me and my family coming, but it's us. We're coming together. And that I know a lot of life happens outside these church walls, okay? And we need the connections. That's why small groups are so important because Sunday mornings, sometimes we can come in and we can go out and we don't make those connections. And it does take a while to make connections. It does not happen in a week or two. Um, we We were on the other side for a while, not very long, but... We, went, after our first church we pastored, we, t- we took a break and we managed a campgrounds in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. And we, so we went to church, but we were no longer the pastors. And so we came into the, the church building and, and guess what? They weren't Radiant Springs Church because it's kind of like nobody said hi to us. We just kind of stood there and we would go in. So if we would go and approach people, and, you know, because we had been in, we were pastors, we knew how that worked, right? And we go and introduce and talk with people. They were polite and they were friendly, but nobody came up and said hi to us, right? And so in order for us to get connected to that body, we had to be fairly intentional and develop those relationships. And I think we even see that with our, I work with the pastors across our state. And what I learned is that if you just wait for people to knock on your door, or to call you up on the phone, sometimes you're going to be a very isolated person. It also takes you saying, you know what, I, I would like to get to know that person better, call them up and or visit them when you pass them through town. But it takes those connections. So there's some give and take there. Are you following me? You following me? Um, I think we have a very friendly church. If you're new to the church, usually people come up and say hi to you. We try to kind of get that part of our church, right? Our DNA. But I know for somebody that is maybe bashful or you're a little more introverted, uh, it can be a little more difficult, right? And that's me. I don't, you know, I think a lot of you that know me know that I'm not this great extrovert, right? So even being up here speaking, if you heard me when I was doing homiletics class, I was a nervous wreck. And I was sweating bullets, and I hated it. But eventually, there became more comf- you know, became more comfortable. And even just getting out into the community, there's times that I really have to fight going into group settings that I'm not comfortable with. That's hard for me, uh, and so I push myself into that because I learned that that's sometimes people aren't going to welcome me in. Now I hope that's not your case in Radiant Springs Church, 
But if you do see somebody, that's why I encourage you, go out and meet them, all right? So community, that is, a, that is part of the DNA, I think, of a healthy church. You have to have that sense of community, whether you're a smaller congregation or a larger congregation. So larger congregations, they also have to grow smaller. How do they grow smaller? Small groups. They, the small groups even become more crucial. I have found that the smaller groups are a little bit harder to get going in a smaller church because we, we do have some decent fellowship that happens on a Sunday. We're, we're small enough that some of those connections can still happen. But if we were to grow, those small groups even become more important, right? Because there's things that happen in a small group. There's conversations. We, we interact with the Word of God, and that's why small groups are so important. Um, so find a small group, all right? And if we need to, get, well, we can always create more if we need to. Once they fill up, that's the goal. All right. Number two, not only did they have that sense of community, of fellowship, of meeting together, but secondly, they studied God's word, right? They studied God's word. You know, that seems like, that is just like a basic, right? It's like going to basketball practice and learning how to dribble, right? Or or how to shoot, right? Having a sh- how, how to shoot a free throw, right? It seems so foundational, right? But the study of God's Word. Now, if we were to take a survey, how many of you actually had devotions this past week and got into God's Word? You don't have to raise your hand. All right? I see a few of you going, oh, he caught me. He caught me. I can tell by your face, right? My, my purpose isn't to embarrass anybody. But we need God's Word in our heart and our life, right? In the early church... They took that very seriously of getting into God's word. Now, a lot of these people had come out of Judaism, so they had a sense of what we maybe call religious tradition, right, of the Jewish faith. But they wanted to know how did Jesus fit into the picture. They knew the Old Testament, and they knew it very well, but they didn't put two and two together that Jesus would be the Messiah and that he would die on the cross. And they had read Isaiah 52, 53, and about this suffering servant, but they didn't put the connection together that, hey, that would be our Savior, that would be Jesus, and He would die on the cross for my sins. They hadn't connected those dots. And so the apostles would teach, and as they did, they would tell about Christ, and they would also pass on the teachings that Jesus had poured into their lives over the last, what, two and a half, three years, right? And as Jesus had taught them, now they were teaching this early church in homes. They studied God's Word. And I believe a lot of those people would get into God's Word. Now, they they were at a disadvantage. Why? Because they didn't have the Bible on their phone, right, or iPad or computer. They didn't even have this, folks. If they wanted to get in God's Word, what did they have to do? They had to go to the temple and and take out one of the scrolls that were there. And and probably most common people weren't able to do that. Only the priests would be able to read it, right? And and so they were at a disadvantage. And so they didn't have access to it like we do today. We have a privilege, but I don't know if we always take advantage of the opportunity that is given. We have so many ways to access God's Word today. You know, and even Martin Luther, and then they had the press, uh, the Gutenberg Press that got the Bible out there so that everybody could have a copy of God's Word. But that was transformational because up to that point, the only way that people could understand the Word of God is if they went to a church. And sometimes they even spoke in Latin or things like that. 
Um, and they kept the translation in a language that the people didn't understand, so they couldn't study it for themselves. Can you believe that? And so some of the reformers worked very hard so that the people could get the Word of God in their own language so that they could understand it and know it for themselves. And so these people studied God's Word the best that they could, and they listened to the apostles' teaching, and they had that foundation so that they could grow. And if we want to be a church that changes the lives of other people, we have to know what the Word of God says. If you want to be able to lead somebody else to Christ, you have to know what God's Word says, right? And you can go into the book of Romans. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's called the Romans road, right? If you know God's word, one of the reasons why we have difficulty in maybe leading, leading somebody to Christ or sharing our faith is that we don't know God's word. We don't have it memorized and put away in our hearts. That's why it's so important to be able to do that because you know what? You don't have to be a, a credentialed minister to lead somebody to Christ. In fact, some of the best people that lead others to Christ are what? People that have just gotten saved. They sometimes don't even know God's word. What do they know though? They know that, hey, I was a sinner and I didn't have peace in my heart and I was miserable and I invited Christ into my life and my life has changed. And they, go and they don't know that they're supposed to be afraid to do that. They don't know any different, and so they go out and they share Christ with their unsaved friends, right? And they have unsaved friends. The longer we're a Christian, the more unsaved friends we do not have, right? All our friends become saved people. And so we always have to be all developing those relationships of people that don't know the Lord if you want to lead other people to Christ. The study of God's Word. My goal as a pastor is, yes, I want to be able on a Sunday morning to make the Word of God come alive for you. But I also want to give you the tools that when throughout the week you can get into God's Word and make it come alive to you. Now, if you were to have my favorite steak is a ribeye. So if you've been here long enough, you know that my favorite steak is a ribeye, right? Now, if you ask me if I want to cut up my own steak or if I want you cutting up my steak and putting it in my mouth, what am I going to want, right? I'm going to want to cut up my own steak and put it in my mouth, right? Yeah. All right? Clarence is with me. All right? You following me? In, in the study of God's Word, I want to give you the, the fork and the knife so that you can cut up your own steak and eat it. You following me? All right? That, that is the goal, is that you can have the tools and then maybe I can inspire something that's kind of, oh, yeah, I want to study deeper what Pastor Brent talked about this past week and, and to get in and discover that for myself. I can be blessed by a good speaker, but I can be just as blessed through the study, my own study for God's Word. Now, I know some of you watched those reality shows on TV, right? How many watched the Alaska ones? All right, I knew Karen, yeah. Any of you watched those Alaskan, you know, they're kind of out there, Right, and one of the things they always do with the Alaska ones, that at some point in the you know throughout the episodes, they're going to do what? They're going to go to a stream and they're going to get a pan and they're going to look for 
gold, right? That has to be an Alaska story. And I've been in Alaska. I lived in Alaska for a short time, and I actually took a pan. But it's not as easy as what it looks like, right? You have to be in a good spot. I know I had a, a guy that came up from North Dakota, and he wanted to do that one time. So we got this, you know, plastic pan, and we went there. We didn't find anything, but... Um, but there's some techniques to that, right? You get in there and you get the silt and, and the gravel and you wash it away and you have to do it carefully because you could wash the gold flakes away, right? If you're really lucky, you get a heavy nugget. But most of the times, it's just these little flakes, right? So you have to do it very carefully. And it's pretty exciting if you do find some gold, right? But it takes work. And you have to know how to do that to find the nugget. You follow me? God's Word is the same way. You can read through it, and it's kind of like, well, there's nothing here. I'm just reading, reading, reading. But if you study God's Word, all of a sudden you find that nugget that changes your life. It's kind of like, wow, I needed that today. Whether it's a word of encouragement or correction, it is something that changes and transforms our life. Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, his young protege that he would raise up in the ministry, he says, um, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of. He learned it from his, his mom and his grandmother because, uh, because you know that from those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, ooh, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is one of the, the good passages where it just talks about how we each need to be students of God's Word and get it into our heart, so that God's Word can encourage us, it can guide us, it can direct us, it can correct us at times, and train us in righteousness, how to live a righteous life. Amen? Amen. There's a third thing that we see. There's six in all. So I think we're going to hit number three, and then we're going we're gonna to put a pin in it. Can we do that? And we're going to pick it up next week. The third one that I want to point out that we see there is prayer. So as they gathered, they dedicated some of their time to uh, eating, um, to study God's Word, but also prayer, right? And if you look at prayer or prayed or prayer, pray, prayed, prayed, Prayer. Okay, there we go. It's mentioned 34 times in the book of Acts. All right? Prayer became a source of their power for ministry and their courage in the face of adversity. Acts 4, 29-31, and we'll probably go in a little more depth into this. But they are brought before the Sanhedrin because above all things they are healing people. Acts chapter 3. A person is healed that has been crippled from birth. And they pray for him and he's set free. Everybody knows it. And they prayed in the name of Jesus who the Romans and the Jewish leaders had crucified. And so now they're told to speak no more in the name of Jesus. They're told to shut down church. Oh, have we heard that before? Can't have church. We won't go there. But the apostle says, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And I've always wondered what it does mean they were shaken. Were they just that they sensed God's presence or was it, you know, just kind of like the whole building was shaken? I don't know. And when they were, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So these people were all filled. Many of them had been filled on the day of Pentecost, so now they are filled again. So we see that that idea of being filled is a day-to-day thing. It's not a one-time thing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. So being filled with the Holy Spirit had the residual effect of that they had courage to speak with God, a place upon their heart to tell others about Christ in the midst of where their life could be in danger for sharing Christ. They've been threatened not to speak anymore in Christ's name, and yet they were able to share the Word of God boldly. And what I admire about the early church is they influenced their world from a position of weakness, from the fringe. Right? They weren't doing it from a position of power, whether it is um, financial power, political power, military strength. Usually that's how people influence our world today, right? Right? We see in Russia they're using their military strength to influence the Ukraine, right? And take it over. Right? And in other places they may be using... You know, Saudi Arabia, probably they use their wealth, right? They got the oil money, right? And they're trying to use that to influence the world. So our world tries to use these things to influence the world, but that's not how the early church changed and transformed lives. They did it from a position of what I would call weakness. But they sought God and they prayed and they became people of God's word. And as they, as they did, nations were changed through their witness and their boldness. We just took the youth through the book of Daniel. Uh, That's what we've been covering, looking at some of the stories in the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel was just such a great example. Him and his um, brothers, they weren't, you know, natural brothers. They were kind of all the same age, and they get taken from their homeland in Israel to Babylon. They were captives, but they're being trained in their customs of the Babylonians, And part of that was to take away their faith and wash it away. But there again, Daniel was a captive, right? He didn't have any military strength, no financial power, no military power, obviously. But you know what? In his lifetime, he would influence four kings. They were the most dominant power, Babylonians and then the Persians that would take over. They were the most dominant force in the world at that time. And yet he... He influenced all four kings, okay? Two of them would make declarations of their faith in God, whether they will be in heaven or not, whether Nebuchadnezzar will be or, or um, Darius, I don't know. Darius is the one with Daniel in the lion's den, right? And then Nebuchadnezzar, he eventually comes to that place. You know, he goes and lives like a wild animal for a period, and then he comes back, but he declares that God is the king of kings and lord of lords. But Daniel was able to influence these most powerful people in all the world that oversaw massive areas of land. Not because of his military strength, not because of his physical power, not because of his wealth, but because he was a man of prayer that walked before God in integrity. He also knew how to hear God's voice, right? Interpret dreams. He was able to influence his world in in an incredible way. And I think the danger in our day and age right now, we're coming up on election time. I do encourage people to vote. 
and get out there. But if we think that our political system is how somehow going to save our nation, we're we are badly mistaken. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be people of the Spirit. That is the example we see within Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul tells again Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Lord and our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer for our nation. You know, God, we sometimes, I, if we, I had my pick, I would want a godly person in office that loved God and that was an upright man. That would be my first choice, right? But if you look at the book of Daniel, God used some pretty heathen people they did a lot, some pretty horrible things. You know, we, we were going through reading about Nebuchadnezzar, you know. And if they didn't do what he wanted, he was going to take them and cut them up into pieces and level their houses. It's kind of like, oh, man, he, you know, he's a real nice guy, right? But Daniel was able to influence his life to the place that I believe there was some real significant life change there. God is able, Cyrus was not a godly person, and yet it was under Cyrus that, they would be allowed to go back to Israel. Nehemiah would be instrumental in that. And he would also foot the bill for rebuilding the walls. God can work through totally heathen people to accomplish his kingdom and purposes. They are kings, and he's, he's, he's established them here and there, but he is the king of kings, right? And if we go to him in prayer, he is able to take care of things. And if we think we got the political power and the finances and all that, and that's how we're going to influence our world, we're badly mistaken. We have to be people of prayer and of God's word. Amen. I'm going to have the musicians come and we're going to put a pin in that right now because um, it is about where I want to be. Healthy churches are committed to the first three, three things that we've covered. Community, the study of God's word, and prayer. Where do we rest on that as a church? I don't know. I think as far as community goes, I think I'd maybe give us an 8 out of 10. It could be higher. I, there's always room to grow, though. I hate to go at 10, right? Because there's no room to go. Study God's Word. I don't know where I'd put us because that falls more on you. I know we try to be Bible-centered, but to study God's Word. And then you all have uh, prayer. There again, I don't always know what happens in your prayer life. Yeah, where would you put yourself in that? Where would we put ourselves as a church? That's one I would like to see higher um, on our scale. A healthy church. And so as we look at the book of Acts, they had these core things that propelled the church forward. They didn't have nice buildings. They didn't have the church experts that know how to grow a church. They didn't have, what else? Texting on Facebook. They didn't have internet. They didn't have a projector screen, no, and lights. What did they have? They had the power of the Holy Spirit 
They prayed, they studied God's word, and they had that sense of community. And because, because of that, people said, you know what? I want what they have. And it wasn't the person that was just the down and outer, the person that was maybe poor. But we know as we look at the early church and even Paul's writings, the people even within the Roman government, high up in the Roman government, came to believe in Christ. And it was because they saw something in these early believers. There was a courage, there was a boldness, even in the midst of persecution that says, I want what they have. And so um, that was powerful. Prayer. Study of God's word and community. And so bring that home into your own life. Evaluate. As a believer in the body of Christ, Am I connected the way I'm supposed to be or am I trying to isolate? And so now with my new role with our state, I get to deal with discipline problems and I can guarantee you all the discipline problems that we're dealing with with other pastors are people that have isolated. You isolate, you're setting yourself up for temptation. You're setting yourself up from, there's no accountability there. We need to be connected whether you're extroverted or introverted, introverted, you have to be connected and be part of a group and a body. We need to be in God's Word and we need to be a people of prayer. Um, that happens on a corporate level here, but it also needs to happen out there in your homes. Amen? Whether it's around the table as you send your kids off for school or your own private time, we need to have those times if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. Would you stand this morning? Praise God. Father, this morning we just uh, we thank you. And we just come before you. Church looks a lot different now than maybe it did in the book of Acts. But the mission has not changed. And some of the core values have not changed that the body of Christ is still a community. It's a living organism, Lord God. And, and Lord God, help us as the church to make people feel welcome and to develop those relationships that's going to help people live out their Christian life from day to day to grow in you. And Lord, let us be people of your word to study it and develop those skills to know your word so that it can change and transform us. It's not just about memorizing, it's about allowing the word of God to get into our heart, our mind to change and transform us into who God's called us to be. And Lord, let us be people of prayer. People that come before you and find our place before you in prayer, Lord. And that seek your face.